You're listening to the Back Home Network, presented by Homefield Apparel. And welcome, Hoosier fans, to this week's edition of Assembly Call Radio, where each week we discuss the most important topic in the world of Indiana basketball. This is our 319th edition of Assembly Call Radio and our 989th episode overall of the Assembly Call, recorded on the evening of December 14th, 2023. I'm your host, Andy Bottoms. And let's begin this edition of the Assembly Call, how we begin every edition of the Assembly Call, and that is with our Hoosier Proud banner moment. Well, this week's banner moment uh, did not come in Saturday's game <laughs> against Auburn, so we're looking elsewhere for the banner moment this week. And uh, obviously the game on Saturday against Kansas has big implications on the court, but may have just as many implications on the sidelines as a huge list of visitors is slated to visit uh, IU for the uh, Indiana-Kansas game this weekend. From the class of 2025, you have number six, Bryson Tiller, who may reclassify to 2024 you have number 13 jason sinone or sanon not sure which that is but he may reclassify to 2024 which is his original class as well number 19 trey mckinney number 31 malachi moreno number 57 trent sisley and a possible jason or jalen harrelson appearance as well you've also got jonathan sanderson from the class of 2026 and if iu intends to uh, get to a point of hanging another banner they have to continue to do well on the recruiting trail and what should be a raucous atmosphere at Assembly Hall on uh, early Saturday afternoon for that big game against Kansas uh, is a great chance to make a great impression on a number of these recruits uh, who IU is hoping to land in these next couple classes, maybe some as early as next year. Uh, so, uh, like I said, big game on the court, big game off the court, on the sidelines for the uh, for the recruits. So we'll look forward uh, to that additional element of a, of a really important game for the Hoosiers on Saturday. With that, let me introduce my co-host for this week. Jared is off, currently attending his wife's company Christmas party. One of her co-workers apparently is a big Kansas fan, so they're undoubtedly tucked away in a corner of the venue with a drink and talking hoops. And Ryan is also off this week with the Kansas game tipping at 9.30 a.m. in San Diego. He's getting a head start on the beauty sleep he'll miss, waking up early to watch it. But here with me, we do have a longtime high school basketball coach in the state of Indiana, the founder of Delphi Bracketology, and a man who knows how to celebrate a road win in your rival's gym. He remembers the days when a movie cost a dollar. Heaven help you if you ever decide to pop your collar. Play hard, but remember, fake hustle is a crime. He's the coach and it's on Sony time. Coach, what's on your mind this week? Well, just trying to figure out how to feel about these Indiana Hoosiers. You, you know, they, they're 2-0 and in the Big Ten. They had a good road win. I wasn't on the AC radio. It's on the post game for Michigan, and there was some upbeat, and then Saturday happened. And, you know, it's, it's not good when you get beat like that, and it, it raises some concerns. And I, I thought, Galen, uh, I'm looking forward to expounding or expanding on what you said on your podcast. I thought it was really outstanding about – 
we always talk about the offense being the issue, but it really is probably the defense and maybe a little bit of the, the mentality and the toughness of this team. And I think those things we need to, to address. And as soon as they change for the better, then Indiana will compete at, at a much higher level. But Indiana hasn't played well but they've won seven of their nine. And you're seeing in college basketball teams getting beat in by games and by lesser opponents all the way around. So I do this back and forth from being okay to being disappointed to being okay to being disappointed. It's part, I guess, of being a, a fan and an educator. You have good days, you have bad days. So I'm looking forward to the candy stripe uh, crowd. It's always good to be in assembly hall for a big game, regardless of how the guys are playing and be uh, silently cheering from media row uh, for the Hoosiers to come out on top on Saturday. All right, and also joining us this week, it's one of the godfathers of IU Sports Podcasting, the head of Indiana's renowned sports media department, and the man who became a meme this week when an angry image of him from the Auburn game channeled the inner feelings of every IU basketball fan. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Galen Clavio. Still a banger all these years later. Yes. Absolutely. Galen, welcome. Uh, I know as coach said, uh, listened to you and Scott earlier today, uh, or maybe it was yesterday. This week has been a bit of a blur, but I did listen to it at some point this week. So uh, certainly your full feelings can be found there. But uh, opening thoughts uh, on this week in IU basketball. I'm, a, I'm actually, we're going to talk a bunch about IU basketball. I'm not going to start by talking about IU basketball. Instead, um, I've actually, I brought this frying pan with me on the show tonight as a visual representation of how much cooking is being done right now by Kurt Signetti and the IU football staff. Uh, they are absolutely killing it right now. I don't know if people are paying attention. Uh, just pulled in uh, their quarterback, we think maybe for this next year, Curtis Rourke from Ohio, 7,000-yard passer already. They pull back Carter Smith, one of the highest-rated freshman offensive linemen in the country. Uh, they've pulled several players in in the portal. They've gotten some recruits. It's it's exciting times right now with IU football. The, this coaching staff is all over social media in a way I don't think I've ever seen an IU staff in any sport be on social media, just pumping the, the crowd up. They know exactly what they're doing. So, um, you know, we've had some ups and downs with IU basketball so far this year. I can't remember being this excited in a non-bowl season about IU football probably ever. So thank you to Coach Signetti and the whole staff and looking forward to seeing what else they come up with this week and, and going into the next year. Absolutely. Good good to have something uh, exciting in the offseason for IU football for a change instead of uh... – the normal dread and uh, and and followed by trying to talk yourself into how things might not be as bad as you think they would be. So uh, this is a nice change of pace. You know, it still could happen, but let's. Oh, let's well, there's no doubt. <laughs> well, we might do the second thing, but the dread feels like it's not there at least in the there same. There you go. So that's progress. All right. So here's what we got in store for you this week. Uh, we'll take a quick assessment of of IU at the season's quarter poll. Uh, then we'll go into a bit of an IU Kansas preview in segment two, and we'll finish with some questions from the mailbag. All of that coming up this week on Assembly Call Radio. But now let's talk about our presenting sponsor. And this edition of Assembly Call Radio, just like all shows on the Back Home Network, is presented by our friends at Homefield Apparel, where they have the largest collection of vintage IU apparel that you'll find anywhere. And it's not just IU. Homefield has something for fans and grads of pretty much every school with unique vintage logos for all of them. And no matter what you buy, you know it'll be comfortable and the colors will last through many washings. 
Plus you're, plus, you're supporting an Indiana-based company that came up through the Kelly School of Business, and what could be better than that? Uh, as we got ready to start here, Galen remarked that uh, we did a good job of uh, playing, uh, you know, playing uh, hoodie roulette and not ending up with the same shirt. Although I don't have a home field sweatshirt on at all, I have an Eagle sweatshirt on. But nonetheless, I do own the sweatshirt that Galen has and could have had it. We then talked about having bought other uh, other schools that uh, so we could branch out a little bit. Found out we both own the same Washington hoodie to celebrate Michael Penix. Uh, but we do probably have a few others that, uh, that won't overlap. So uh, while you can have that shared excitement of wearing the same home field shirt as your, uh, as your friends and colleagues, uh, you can uh, vary it up a little bit. And I know I, at least leading up to the, uh, to the holiday, ordered six things from six different schools. Uh, do with that what you will. I did offer to buy things for other people in my family. The choice of what they, you know, whether they wanted to take me up on that was up to them. But I ended up with six things for myself. So. Uh, you do what you got to do. But anyway, follow Homefield. They've had a lot of great holiday offers, uh, new dad hats out, uh, tons of great stuff from Homefield. So make sure that you're following them. And you can go to homefieldapparel.com and use our promo code HOME23 to save 15% off your entire first order. That's promo code HOME23 for 15% off. Once again, the website is homefieldapparel.com. Wear one for the team. I got a note on that real quick. I bought my wife of all things an Idaho State long sleeve t-shirt and it's by far the favorite thing that I've bought her in the past six months. So you never know what could create harmony in your household through home field apparel. Unbelievably, no, unbelievable that you referenced Idaho State. One of the items I bought was an Idaho State t-shirt. It was the one from like the Big Sky Championship shirt that's got like the J. Yeah, so I, I did buy that. So uh, at least we bought different items. Uh, so if your wife and I run into each other when we're there for the meetup, we'll... Uh, you know we'll be okay coach what were you what were you gonna say i'm just i'm glad galen has harmony i'm somewhat banned from the website um (laughs) as as the number of schools that i have now represented in in my you need a burner a burner address and a different credit like a burner credit card just for home field purchases exactly there's probably some big 10 coaches who could get you hooked up with something like that coach so just uh you're hanging around covering games i'm sure there's a few you could you could point to who may uh may be able to help you out uh, so we start our Hoosier headlines on a on a somber note uh, with the death of George McGinnis. Uh, just an incredibly decorated career uh, for Big George. He was the Indiana Mr. Basketball state champion in high school, All-American at IU, delivering uh, one of, if not the greatest single season in IU history where he averaged 30 points a game, 14.7 rebounds, 2.8 assists. He was a two-time ABA champion, a three-time ABA All-Star, a three-time NBA All-Star, uh, for his pro career, averaged 20.2 points, 11.0 rebounds, 3.7 assists per game, and uh, was a Hall of Famer and a, a true uh, icon in the IU basketball world. Uh, so certainly our, our thoughts go out to his family and uh, rest in peace to, to, to Big George. But uh, any, uh, any stories or, or impressions of, of McGinnis that, uh, that either of you guys want to jump in with here? I just find his numbers to be uh, incredible. I, I don't remember, obviously, um, being five or six years old when he played at IU. I don't remember watching or, or reading about it. I do remember a little bit of him in the pros. Uh, but looking at his high school numbers and his college numbers, you just have to be in awe of of how he performed on, on the collegiate level. And uh, then going on to the ABA and winning championships with the Pacers and then seven or eight more years with some a variety of teams in the NBA, just an outstanding Hoosier, a legend to, uh, for sure. Uh, may he rest in peace. Yeah. And I mean, just 
you hear story after story of what a great ambassador he was for the game of basketball and for the state of Indiana. It, it's hard to put into context, I think, exactly how good George McGinnis was. And to some degree, I think the fact he only spent a year in college almost robbed him of the larger spotlight that he probably would have had historically if he had played the full four seasons. And you always wonder, like you, you put George McGinnis with Bob Knight, who starts the following year, uh, you know, what does that look like for Indiana basketball? And and do IU fans in particular have an even, you know, more, you know, positive remembrance of George McGinnis? But there's just so much he did in terms of helping not just to popularize the game of basketball further in the state of Indiana, but at the professional level, especially, and, and being as as amazing as he was with the basketball throughout that very critical period of, of time when the Pacers could have left town, uh, you know, when, when professional basketball was still struggling for a footing here in the state of Indiana. So just one of the icons of Indiana basketball, any way you slice it and, and just a real shame that he's passed away too soon. Yep, absolutely. Uh, I know one of my first, you know, one of the first things you talk about the Pacers, Galen, when I was uh, younger in, in Indianapolis, you know, I was, you know, seven, eight years old, went to a Pacers game, his, his jerseys retired and all that. And it made me, you know, kind of figure out who he was and, you know, checking out the books in the library to read up on the history of some of the, you know, different teams and kind of reading about that and then understanding what his history was at, at IU prior. Um, but definitely a, a, a decorated career to say the least with, with him. Uh, and then as you look, you know, talked about some of the recruiting, uh, visits that are, uh, that are headed, uh, some of the recruits that are headed in for the Kansas game this weekend. Uh, the only other recruiting note we had, you know, nothing really new on Derek queen seems like still things look relatively good for IU, but you never really know. And, and so probably a January announcement at the earliest, at least is what it seems like. And, and so I guess, you know, the other thing we wanted to talk about uh, here, particularly with uh, with Galen, was just to kind of talk about what we think we might know about this IU team at this point. You know, we, we've talked all along about the, the trajectory for this team and and, and kind of that they're going to look ideally a lot better later in the season as the pieces gel. But right now we're nine games in. They're seven and two, uh, two and oh in the Big Ten. But if you look at the the numbers, they opened at number 50 in Ken Palm. They're now down to number 78. They were 35th in Torvik to start the season. They're now 62nd. Uh, you know, lots of reasons for that. But Galen, uh, whether you want to, you know, reshare some of the thoughts you had of, of that that you and, and Scott talked about earlier in the week, or or, or anything else, what are your your kind of overall impressions of where this team is versus where you thought they would be, and and right. and kind of where you're at? Well, there was a nice comment in the chat from Forrest Gray, which was the thing bothering him is I believe we all said we wouldn't know how good this team could be until mid to late January it's mid-December and most are already talking about next year. Uh, you know, some people have given up on the season. And so let me let me say the, this within the context of that comment and what we talked about on Crimson Cast. I was down in Atlanta. I was out in New York. I saw both of the games that Indiana lost by pretty significant margins. I was at the Florida Gulf Coast game. Um, I, I, I'm as into the metrics and the advanced statistics as anybody on the beat. And my concern is as follows. It's it's not that the season's over. And, you know, Indiana's 7-2, and two, which is about where everybody thought they would likely be at this point in the season regardless. People thought they'd lose to UConn. People thought that it was very possible they could lose to either Michigan on the road or Auburn here. What bothers me, though, is that uh, this, Indiana really seems to lack 
a killer instinct. They, they seem to lack that drive, uh, that, that dog, you know, if you want to use that kind of parlance within them that you see in teams that are actual contenders for championships. And I'm not necessarily talking about even big 10 championships here, but, but, you know, Indiana fans and the program has always measured itself against national championships against final fours, despite having not been to one in, in 22 years now. And what worries me is that we've seen them play UConn. We've seen them play Auburn and both of those teams are equal or superior athletically and have a drive to the way that they play and an energy that just does not seem to be there. And what I said on the podcast that was quoted in the chat earlier is that when Indiana's faced with that type of a team, they tend to shrink from the moment. It's like they really don't, they they can handle teams like Purdue who are comprised very similarly to Indiana in terms of the types of personnel and the way that they try to play. But you get outside of that bubble and it's almost like Indiana is just uncertain about how they're supposed to respond when someone gets right up in their face. And that's a mentality thing that, yes, some of it comes from coaching, but a lot of it comes from the type of recruiting Indiana's done over the course of time, the type of players that they tend to bring in. This is not something that's new or unique to the Woodson era. This was also what we saw in the Archie Miller era. It's also what we saw through a lot of the Tom Crean era. And I don't know exactly what the solution to that is because my feeling was that Mike Woodson, of all people, having been an Indiana star and and understanding what it takes to compete at the highest levels would have been able to ingrain that into his team and would have been able to recruit players who came in with that mentality. I don't think it's really worked out quite that way. It's early still in his tenure, relatively speaking, it's only the beginning of year three, but it just doesn't feel like that edge is there with Indiana. And that really, as much as people have complained about the offense, to me, it shines through with defense and rebounding two areas that are very effort-based, two areas that are very, like, I'm not going to let that guy beat me based. And Indiana's let guys beat them. Not just not just good teams, but that's why they almost, like, that's why they struggled with Army. It's why they struggled with Florida Gulf Coast. It's why they struggled with Harvard in the first half. So that's that's what's bothering me about the team right now. They've figured out a lot of the offensive and defensive stuff they're supposed to be doing, but they're not doing it at a high enough level. And a lot of that, I think, is effort and intensity, not ability. Yeah, I think it's it's interesting, Coach. The and I thought this when I was I was listening to Crimson Cast earlier in the week when Galen brought this up is that there's been so much hand wringing over the offense and and really more just the composition of where shots are coming from and and how I use going about things there. But ultimately, the numbers there, while not elite, are not terrible. Where where things have really been bad, and particularly were bad in the Auburn game has been on the defensive end. And and I think we came out of those big 10 games thinking, well, it seems like they've made some adjustments. Maybe they've corrected some of the issues that led to a lot of the wide open threes that they were giving up. And then Auburn really just brought a whole different kind of, of energy at them and, and whatever adjustments they'd made seemed to be kind of thrown by the wayside or, or wildly ineffective at the very least uh, in that scenario. So what, you know, coaches, as you think about it that way, you know, we've spent time on here talking a lot about the offense, but what are your, impressions of this team defensively and and is it a case of what they're doing might be good enough to work in the big 10 because of some of the roster composition things that galen talked about and and maybe paper over some things that will give them a ton of trouble should they be fortunate enough to make the ncaa tournament well i i think it's a combination of stuff i, I think galen is really on to something with with the toughness and the, and 
and the mental aspect. You can play hard and work up a lather uh, and, and be playing hard but not playing effectively and not giving the appropriate effort uh, w- with some toughness. And defense and rebounding are those things that come special to basketball competitors who are on the basketball floor. And, and it's hard to teach that as a coach. You try to draw it out of, of a of a person. But I thought two big plays uh, were Malik Renew about 12 feet out, turning and watching the shot go up. And whether his guy or a guy that was close went in for a rebound dunk um, at a time when it went from 26-26 all, there were a couple big rebound dunks. Well, you talk about threes being a momentum and dunk. Those rebound offensive rebound dunks can get a team going. And and I caught it on TV, so it had to be close to the guy getting the rebound. But he wasn't even attempting to go get the rebound. He missed the physical block out, and he didn't go get the rebound. And there, there's one of our guys. His rebounding rate has dropped. Uh, and and you brought that up on, on, on Crimson Cast as well, that it could be because of Ware's getting a lot. Well, TJD got a lot too um, last year. So I, I just – that and – We've constantly harped on the guards rebounding, and for a couple games they've made an effort to to rebound. It is, it is. I don't like their technique, um, and I think it's on the players. I also think somewhat on, on the the coaching staff too. The the positioning of the body and the head on a swivel. And the college game's different than, than whatever I've coached, but a lot of ball watching and cuts being made, or guys moving to the three point line, uh, over helping, locking in on the ball. Uh, and so it's just the defense is really what's going to turn this team around. Indiana scored enough Saturday. They scored 79 points. They were over one point per possession, which is at least acceptable. They hit six threes. And for this, I said, I was thinking, what's an appropriate amount of threes? Take 15 and make six. That's 40%. Or take 17 and make six. You, yes, we're going to go inside a ton. But offensively, they weren't, they weren't horrible. Uh, but it really was, uh, go back and listen to, to Galen and Scott. I think that that was really informative about the toughness in these types of games when the athletes are such. And I thought we, we, a lot of our, our fans get upset with the guard play and, and that's, that's something we need to talk about too. But I thought our bigs, if you look at the box score, oh yeah, they did a great job. I thought they were soft uh, on Saturday against the athletic physical play of the, uh, of the Auburn basketball team. And, and they didn't rebound well, and they didn't shoot at a high percentage. And, and Indiana has to be super efficient from those guys in order to win uh, on both ends, offense and defense. But I think, we're, I think defense is the way we get out of this uh, and, and become a, a tournament team and move in the right direction. And we're a long way away from that right now on the defensive side. It's a little concerning. Again, small sample size, right. a lot to go in this season. But in Woodson's first year – with mostly Archie Miller's players, Indiana was 24th in the country in Ken Palm and adjusted defensive efficiency. Last year, they dropped to 45th. This year, they're 75th thus far and and not against great competition. And I think that's probably the thing that's been most bothersome. It's not just that they're getting out-physicaled and out-hustled by a UConn or an Auburn, but they've gotten out-hustled by almost everybody. I mean, the only exception has been Maryland, who I, I – I'm not even sure if they still have a basketball team at this point, uh, but it's it's just it doesn't look good. They were getting out hustled by Louisville for stretches in that game in Madison Square Garden, and th- that's it's so disconcerting to me that you know you've got these talented players and and players who should be playing at a higher level 
I, and that maybe it's a, a moment where maybe the Auburn game wakes them up and they realize we can't play this way. I don't know if that'll be the case, though, because unfortunately the trend, you look at the Arizona game last year, you look at the game at Kansas last year, even though that's got a bit of an asterisk on it, you look at the Miami game in the tournament last year, it's a very similar story when they face these types of teams that that have the level of athleticism and hustle that is demonstrated consistently. I don't know what the I don't I don't know what the answer is at this point. And you know, the last thing I'll say on this Andy is a lot of people have made excuses uh, because obviously Xavier's not in the roster right now and the roster was also built in a kind of a flawed way. They're, they're probably you needed another guard, you needed somebody that could play a little more at the 2 or 3. But here's the thing. There's lots of flawed rosters all over college basketball. There's flawed rosters in the top 25. The teams that find ways to win do so in spite of the fact that they don't have a perfect roster. I don't know if there's a perfect roster in college basketball right now. There are better balanced ones, but Indiana has enough talent and isn't so far out of balance that it excuses the way that they've played through the first most of the first nine games of the season. And that's where, Galen, a coach has to be very creative. Uh, and and I, I appreciate coaches. We all have our philosophies, and we want to stick to them because that's what we believe in. But if you swing and miss and you try to get a perimeter guy, a defender, a shooter, and you miss and you don't have that, then you've got to come up with creative ways to have balance in your attack, both offensively and defensively. There's no doubt what we run to get the ball in the post is good, and when we get it in there, uh, we score. And then we block shots and where's rebounding. There's a lot of good that's happening in Indiana basketball. But right now it's good against marginal teams. It's not good against good teams. And, and, and so coach and the staff have to be creative with this roster because what it, it, is what it, it is what it is. And I have yet to see a lot of that creativity. I've seen a little bit on defense where they've done a little different things in their coverages and, and how close they are to the nail versus to the shooter. They've made some changes, but it didn't work against Auburn. And they got to still go in and cook up a recipe, use – Use a, a, a bigger pot than you brought with the frying pan for the football team to cook up some cook up something to get this roster uh, to win. Because you you said it, and we've all said it on the bracketology, winning a lot of games against the lower level teams in the Big Ten probably will happen for Indiana, and they could get to 20, 21, 22 and not be in the tournament uh, because they've got to beat the quality teams in the Big Ten if they don't get a win Saturday. Uh, we'll talk about that in the second segment. They got to cook up something a little bit different than what they've been doing because of that flawed roster. Yeah, and I think one area that shows up it was you know, Jared had written a post on this, and I don't know whether he put it in the run sheet just to you know try to draw more attention to what he had what he had done. I don't know, but either way, it was it was it was well thought out. Uh, but he looked at some of the lineup data so far this season, and and a few interesting takeaways. I think you know among those. <laughs> You know, the way he, he underscored it here was nothing works but Malik and Khalil together. You know, almost any lineup with the two of them and, you know, throw in any of the other rotation players with it have been really successful from a net rating standpoint. In contrast to that, what, what you've seen is that playing a lot of the bench guys together has some just hideous uh, results from a lineup perspective. And I think that bears out what you think when you're watching the game um and even though he staggers when they come in the net result is that eventually you end up with when Xavier Johnson was healthy a first unit and a second unit at least in the first half and and maybe for part of the second half and then you figure that out 
you know, I think that's really an area to me, Galen, that, that if the coaching staff is going to make the most out of the roster that they have, right. That's a pattern they have to get out of. I'm just not sure that Woodson has shown a proclivity to do that over the course of time, (laughs) his time at IU. He's shown, he's talked about it. And, and from that, it makes me think he's not going to change because in his mind, he looks at these as units and he, and he, he, he really is like, well, I've got to take the first unit out to give them some rest. And the idea that you're going to stagger those guys throughout the course of the game and, and, or at least the first half, it just does not seem to be in his strategic approach. And, and look, that's fine. I guess I, I think it worked last year to some degree, although the bench was, was certainly thinner and it's not working this year. And, and it's interesting because while, Jared's numbers are correct that the Malik Khalil combo is really good. What's weird to me is like it's so momentum driven that they'll get ahead of steam up and then they go sit down and they can't just recover that when they come back in. It like, you know, it's like those substitutions gunk everything up. I'm really curious as we move forward, you know, what exactly the setup has to be in order for those guys, if you're going to have to rest them at more or less the same time, how do you get them back into a rhythm? Because at this stage, yeah, you could say, well, okay, we're just going to rest one of them and then the other one, but you're, then you're looking at those offensive numbers where you're not nearly as efficient and you don't have those guys out there being able to play off of each other. And that's, you know, coach, I guess the, the question I have is, if the offense has to be predicated on two guys who are of that size being on the floor simultaneously, that's to me where the change has to happen because that's just not a sustainable model. I don't care how efficient they look. I I, I totally agree. You have two talented big men when they play together, you've got to make them efficient when they're playing one at a time. Uh, And the bigger issue with me is when they're both off the floor. I just think you you have to have two of three point guards on the floor once X comes back at all times. You need to have uh, Malik or Khalil on the floor at all times because then you get 40 minutes of good post play, uh, and and then you can bring Walker in for either one of those. That I I just believe that's better. Uh, Obviously. I understand that, you know, Coach Woodson feels differently. And, and a Michigan game, they gave a spark. Uh, you have to admit that that was a plus for that mass substitution. And last year with the injuries, without X and, and then TJD playing so well, he's kind of forced into an eight-man rotation at least. Uh, this year with X out, at least there's one starter out there at one time. But it, it does seem like the starters have a hard time finishing the first half after that mass uh, sub. It's happened in a lot of games where they had a great run, then they come out collectively, and then they go back in. I I think those things are ev- are just are plain to see. But I would keep those players out. And you can still play 9, 10, uh, but spot them here and there. I think that helps CJ, um, Andy, and Kalen to play with better – when they got a double team, the two post, and he's out there, he's going to be able to make uh, have better shots. It's going to help Caleb Banks when he's at the three. Uh, I think Walker has done a nice job spacing the floor, catching the ball at the high post and then dribbling it in and dribble handoffs, the dribble handoff game that he can do a little bit better than, than even Malik can do. And so there's some options that go out the window when you put the, you know, one point guard now with four different subs. And uh, yeah, I don't think that'll change, but I do think that is a valid part of, of the momentum shifts that we're seeing uh, in Indiana basketball on both ends too. 
um, you know, Ware is a great defender, a, a rim protector, and you take him out, uh, you got to have another guy in there, and, and Malik's probably the be- next best guy. So, yeah, that, I do think that's part of the problem. Well, and I think, you know, obviously the injury to X is, is a piece of that, at least from the guard standpoint. And you're really having some of these guys, you know, Galloway has been talked about a lot in terms of, you know, his struggles and all the things that are on his plate right now. I think you see that in the defense. I mean, guys are just – Gabe Cups is playing an amount of minutes that you would not have wanted him to coming into the season. It doesn't mean that he's doing a bad job – but it's a lot to ask of him to play 30 plus minutes in some of these scenarios, but they have so few guards without Xavier Johnson. It's basically impossible not to play him uh, to that level. And I think you get some diminishing returns at, at some point. And it, it all goes back to the roster construction of we're trying to figure out the whole off season. How do you figure out how to dole dole out the minutes in the front court? Because you have so many guys there and in the back court, you, you've had guys that you wanted to take a step forward you know, do that sporadically, but not consistently. And you've had a guy in Gabe Cups have to assume a much, much larger role earlier on in his freshman season than you ever would have would have wanted him to. Um, yeah, although I don't know, this is where I, I kind of depart from some of the other commentators on this. I mean, it, it shouldn't be that hard for the guards to contribute offensively, even the ones that are having to carry a load. And, and you know, Tony Adrania had a, a really, I think, informative set of statistics that he put out in his news, newsletter today. Uh, he had a nice video that he showed the number of open shots that guards in particular are just missing for Indiana. And I don't think that's a minutes thing. I mean, that that may be a confidence thing. It may be an ability thing. It may be something else. I don't know. But it's, you know, th- these are shots that are being missed at all times of the game. And that's what Indiana is missing. I mean, a lot of these problems melt away if you're getting 12 to the 15 additional points on these shots that are being missed. And the possessions are basically being thrown away at that point because Indiana is not getting the rebound. So it's like you're, you're getting all the negatives of the guards not contributing offensively. You're not getting drives, certainly, but you're not hitting open shots. You're also not getting the rebounds. There's no offensive rebounding on this team right now to note. So you're just every anytime a guard takes a shot at this point, it feels like you're just giving the possession away. And, you know, so. It's yes, there's roster errors, but it's also just guys not executing. And I feel like to some degree, we're being almost overly sympathetic at times to the burden when in reality, it's like right there, there's the shot. That's the shot everybody wants. That's the shot the offense has tried to develop and, and produce, and it's just not being done. And I'm not really sure what the uh, the answer is on that, Coach. It um, It's kind of like the Archie Miller time when everyone said he took confidence away from shooters. Why can't kids make shots, right? Um, I still believe it's on the players more than it is anything, but the lack of variety in offense, and if the, you get what you emphasize, and if they're emphasizing pick-and-roll drive and pull-up game and they're emphasizing post, and the third option is a three-point shot, then you're constantly subliminally thinking, I'm catching this ball, I'm wide open, should I shoot? And if you're doing that, you're not hitting. And, and, and that's on the player. They need to be more confident in that to be able to take – you saw the first – four shots was what Indiana basketball can do with hitting open shots and being ready to shoot. So I think the guys can do it. I, I, even though I would have a variety of different offensive things to do to get shooter shots than, than what coach Woodson does. I do think that sometimes we coaches can overemphasize 
the good pieces of our program to a point where it gets stuck in the minds of people who want to play well and they want to do what the coach is and they buy into Coach Woodson and he wants that ball to go inside and he wants to attack the, the rim. You've got to play free on offense and the guys aren't playing free on offense. Uh, it's just a slight little mental thing where you've just I just see a kick out for a three and they redrive or they rethrow it into the post. It's like they've almost I'm not accusing the coach of doing this, but it's almost like they have to throw it in the post or or they're afraid they're not gonna play. Um Yep. Coach, I think you just coach, knocked your coach, microphone coach was, out. Coach was so angry about that that his his ex XL, got me XLR, now. Yeah, you're yeah, back. You're good. All right. There okay. you go. Yeah, I knocked out. Um if I said when I get back in this thing Total freedom on offense. If you play hard on defense and get steals, you have the freedom. And if I don't like the shot, we'll work on it later. Um, I, I just think that we overemphasize the post. And I understand why we do it. But that's that fine psycho psychological part of coaching. Yeah, I will say, uh, just to plug what uh, Galen was talking about. Yeah, Tony's, uh, Tony's piece today was good. Although the uh, open catch and shoot uh, shooting percentage was um, – should not be shown to small children. I would say it, it was not, it was not good. Uh, but anyway, all right. So that was a, that was an in-depth look at where we are right now. We'll uh, obviously have a big game coming up on Saturday against Kansas. So coming up, we're going to dig deep into that matchup. IU obviously desperate for a big non-conference win. And this is the last chance to get one. Can they do it? And what are the keys to the game? We'll talk through that next year on the assembly call. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. All right. Welcome, everybody, after lengthy segment one, but we don't need to probably beat the matchup part into the ground too much here. But now We uh, can do a quick we'll segment hit. two, and, and we got a lot of good questions. Um, David's say, did got you a lot put of them all in here? Him, so... I, I, I actually, back and put them all in there. Oh, you did. Oh, there is a lot. Cause when I looked before, there were not very many. So I did research on the first question. I actually have an answer for that. So good. Yeah. Cause I didn't, yeah. <laughs> I, I think I got it. I got it. Calvert nailed, Chaney. So. I was going to throw out Calvert Chaney and act like I knew what I was talking about. So <laughs> what it was. We'll, we'll, yeah. we'll send yeah. it to yeah. you. <laughs> good job pandering to the crowd coach. That's all you really need to do. You're good. Yeah, exactly. I know who pays absolutely. the bills. All right. Absolutely. All right. We're going to top right there. Yep. Here we go. Hi, this is James Blackman Jr. I never miss an open three, and I never miss an episode of The Assembly Call. Join Jared, Andy, Ryan, and Coach after every IU basketball game. Go Hoosier. 
All right, welcome back to the assembly call. I'm Andy Bottoms here with the coach Brian Tonsoni and Galen Clavio from Crimson Cast. And uh, this segment, we're going to talk about IU Kansas. A couple quick things to set the stage. It is a stripe out. So uh, just a reminder, go check out what, uh, whether, whether you're red, white, cream, crimson, what your section is supposed to be before you head to the game. I know uh, IU's put that out in a, a number of different places. So make sure you check that out. You know, as for why this game is important, certainly any game against a, a top team like Kansas is, is an important one. Uh, I think it would be a, a great program win for IU as Mike Woodson continues to try to build things. But probably because the three of us are on here, the biggest thing to talk about as for what this means is from a bracketology perspective. Uh, we can say that it's too early to talk about bracketology and the net is this and that and whatever. But the reality of the situation is this. IU has no notable non-conference wins at this point. They don't have any bad losses, but no notable non-conference wins. This is the very last chance to get one. And while the numbers will show that IU has attempted to schedule some tough games. That doesn't matter as much if you don't beat anybody. And normally your opportunity to make that up would come in conference play, but the big Ten's performance in the non-conference has been incredibly poor. Uh, a number of different people have tweeted out some numbers this week. I think Jeff Goodman had one that maybe looked at it from a Ken Palm perspective. Uh, different people have talked about what it looks like from the net Bottom line is the Big Ten outside of Purdue has done relatively nothing in the non-conference. And what that does is then it devalues, you know, the non-conference games kind of set the values for what the, you know, what games are going to be big games in the league and which ones can really move the needle. And with every poor Big Ten performance, that needle moves a little bit less, even if you win. And then just when you think things can't get any worse, Northwestern loses to Chicago State last night. And uh, and it and it does just that. So that to me, uh, coach is is really what the big meaning for this game is. Certainly, a win over Kansas would be phenomenal from a program standpoint. But as you start looking at NCAA tournament prospects in a league that's going to get less, it would seem than they have in recent years. You got to have at least you know one non-conference uh, you know pelt uh, on the wall to be able to show to the selection committee. And this is IU's last chance to get one. Absolutely. It is a huge game and you would have liked to have maybe knocked off one before you get to, you know, the number three or four team in the country. It is at Assembly Hall and it is going to be an opportunity for the fans and everyone to kind of root on the guys for, for a win. The win goes goes a long way uh, for their selection and seeding if they are selected. Uh, and uh, the, the Big Ten is just a, a struggle bus. Uh, everyone that... Uh, uh, despite, uh, except Purdue has had some kind of losses that just make you, you shake your head. I think maybe Illinois, uh, and then Ohio state are the other that, that have had a good, you know, non-conference, uh, but not perfect. So as a coach, you don't even consider that you just got to get your team right for Saturday. And then you got to get your team right for the next game and the next game and next game. You just got to take care of that and try to build wins. For the three of us who do bracketology, and no, we're still a month or two away from actually looking at it, but we see the trends. And when you start looking at the net um, for, for those trends, there aren't going to be a whole lot of opportunities in your home gym. The team's not coming in in the top 30. It's not going to happen. And so now the road becomes extremely important because if teams are in the one through 75 on the road, that becomes a quad one. But the Big Ten has like five teams in the 60, mid-60s to 70s where if they lose a couple more, they're, 
you know, there might only be three teams in a situation to, to get those top quality wins. So it's going to be quite the road for teams like Indiana, Iowa to get back into this thing. Uh, you got to take care against the – you can't win – the, the Nebraska 2018 is haunting me in my sleep. Um, you steal that from me, coach. That was where I was going next. Uh, <laughs> it, it, it is. Uh, yeah. it, 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 I went back and looked at our spreadsheet from Delphi Bracketology, and it's scary. They, they were 13-5 and five and had one quad one win. That's back when the RPI and the quads were a little different than, the, than they were now. But still finished uh, that. Indiana, I, I figured out, could win 14 Big Ten games and maybe not make the tournament, be 14-6 yeah. and six in the Big Ten and not have enough wins to make it into the tournament. Uh, that's the scary part. So it's not just getting wins. It's got to get the right ones, and it starts on Saturday. Well, I'll say this. You're right. Uh, Sorry about never, stealing that. It's fine. I'm used to it now. No, it's kidding. Uh, but, you know, I will say it is possible to still get into the tournament and even have a decent seed without any good non-conference wins for that. I'll point to Purdue the following year, 2019, their best non-conference win was a home win against Belmont, uh, who was like 48th in, in Ken Palm that year. Maybe, maybe against 85th ranked Davidson on a neutral floor. They did not have a great non-conference schedule, but they went 16 and four in conference. They beat pretty much all of the good teams in the conference at least once uh and they just didn't lose very much the rest of the way and i think that's where indiana will find itself if they can beat kansas it gives them some breathing room it gives them something that they can point to and they'll look they'll get wins in the big 10 i i, I think honestly as 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 much as i trashed their effort in the last segment 13 14 wins in this conference is not out of the realm of possibility for this indiana team because of the way that the game's layout and the relative lack of quality in this conference that Purdue team went 16 and four which might be a bridge too far but lost in the first round of the Big Ten tournament still got a three seed that's probably not going to happen this year but I'm saying like relatively speaking it is possible if Indiana turns it on even if they lose this game against Kansas that they'd still get into the tournament it's just they really leave themselves literally zero margin for error at that point and you really don't want to do that yep all right, so as we look at keys to the game and, and what will actually decide it and how we feel about all that afterwards, uh, one note that Tony had is Kansas in the last five years when their opponents shoot better inside the arc uh, than them, they're 17 and 18. When Kansas shoots better inside the arc, they're 100 wins to eight losses. Uh, this year it's only happened once, and they ended up losing that game. So that's at least one statistical area to look at. Uh, you know, I'll talk a little bit matchups first. You know, Kansas uh, obviously has Hunter Dickinson. Everybody would be really excited to see him back in Assembly Hall, I know. Uh, but Kansas really doesn't play a lot of guys, uh, quite honestly. Depth is a is a concern. If you can find ways to get guys into foul trouble, that could be an avenue in this game. They, they play the, the quartet of Dickinson, Kevin McCuller, K.J. Adams, and Dewan Harris – each of those guys play at least 76.9% of available minutes. So those guys, uh, or, you know, three of those four are on the floor nearly all the time. And then from there, they've kind of rotated some pieces in around that. Um, the, the next most is El Marco Jackson, who's a freshman guard. But one of the things I want to talk about matchup wise coach, is, is defensively for IU. We talked earlier about the struggles that IU has had 
Kansas presents some issues and and that isn't necessarily to me with Hunter Dickinson, but a lot of the counter, a lot of the thoughts in my head come a couple places. One, Dewan Harris running the point. Um, veteran guy and and he's one that IU has to really contain. He's not a guy who looks for his own shot very much. Uh, although he did in the Champions Classic and then has proceeded to not score very much since then. Uh, but he's the guy who really makes things go for them. Who do you have in IU's backcourt who really is able to, to take him on and, and give him some struggles? And the other is who does Mackenzie Mbako guard? Because he's shown some, some definite challenges on the defensive end. Your options for him to guard, at least at the beginning of the game, are either K.J. Adams, who is you know an undersized four-man for Kansas doesn't really shoot threes, but gets a lot going to the basket. He's 68% on twos, uh, a good cutter, things like that. That seems like more of a matchup that you're going to have to have Malik Renew on, which would leave Kevin McCuller for uh, Mackenzie Mbako to guard. And that, to me, is a matchup that's pretty scary. Uh, McCuller is 6'7", uh, wing, has been in college for quite some time. Uh, now it feels like previous stop at Texas Tech uh, and then moved over to Kansas. But He's, uh, you know, high offensive rating, using the most possessions of anybody on Kansas, playing a ton of minutes, shooting 40% from three, but can get to the basket as well uh, and get fouled. You know, the matchups for me here are where you start to get worried. You'd love to see IU get some of these guys in foul trouble because I think that helps IU as Kansas gets into a bench of some pretty unproven players. But if you're setting things up at the beginning, Coach, how do you try to figure out how to defend uh, Kansas and how do you set the matchups up in a way that, that gives you a chance to succeed there. Yeah, it, it's it's going to come down to how you guard McCuller. Uh, I think you start there and work backwards. Uh, the natural position would be Mbako on him. There, you know, uh, interesting. Uh, Tyler in in the chat said, "Do you move Gallo down there?" That that would be a consideration. But then Mbako's on the two guard, who's a six three freshman. Uh, so, you know, there, there's really no easy solutions. You you have. I think you got to put wear on on Dickinson just from size and length. Take away his three point shot, his baby hook. Maybe maybe make him try to shoot around or above. And you got to take away Dickinson first. But KJ Adams was a big piece of that team last year, and he he's a great rebounder. I I don't know his stats necessarily, but he does a lot of the little things, and that worries me about Malik guarding him too because I don't think Malik's blocking out and guarding very well. So it's it's strength on strength. Our inside against their two-point defense, uh, you know, their two-point defense is 10th in the country at 42%. Um, uh, two-point percentage is all they're allowing. That's where Indiana's got to score. And then the front line of theirs is really talented. They do have a solid point guard, as you mentioned. Uh, but I'm not going to worry about that one as much uh, as it's going to be a, a game decided by the three, four, and five traditional positions. Who can guard the other team? Who can rebound? Uh, and then foul trouble with those three guys. That's that's going to be the the difference, I think, in the ball game. Galen, what stands out to you when you look at some of the individual matchups in this one? Abject fear. Um, <laughs> it's you no, know, it's 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 daunting on paper. I mean, the big thing to me is from an individual uh, matchup perspective. Keeping Hunter Dickinson off the offensive glass to me is is one of the key things Indiana is going to have to do on the defensive side. They, they cannot get caught watching the shot go up. Whoever is on Dickinson, and if it's Ware, I'm a little concerned, frankly, because I don't know if Ware has the physicality to keep Hunter Dickinson off the boards. Uh, he certainly can jump with him, 
but he's going to have to rebound like we haven't seen him rebound thus far in order to, to do that. That's a concern. The other thing for me is, you know, Kansas spreads their shooting out quite a bit. You know, McCullers shot 32 threes. Johnny Furphy has shot the second most threes on the team in, in relatively limited minutes. Uh, and then, you know, they've got uh, Timberlake shot 21. Dewan Harris has shot 18. They're, they shoot really well from three, but it's not that big of a deal to them from an offensive perspective. As much as we talk about Indiana not getting a huge number of shots from deep, Kansas uh, is not very three-oriented. And so what I would really like to see Indiana do is consider playing some zone uh, or a box and one, as as weird as that sounds. Something that's going to throw off Kansas's rhythm inside, make it harder for them to get space within the post, uh, or play man to man where they're not going to get switched off, and 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 where they're they're sticking to whoever they're supposed to be on, with the idea that if you can gunk up what Kansas is doing inside and you can speed the game up on your own offensively, you might get them into a spot where then they start taking threes they don't want to take, they start missing those, and then that compounds upon itself. Uh, But the key here for me, honestly, is like don't give Kansas second chances on offense because that is what's going to ultimately kill Indiana in this game. And that's kind of what killed them against Auburn in large stretches where Auburn just kept extending possessions, and that created problems Indiana couldn't solve. Galen, you bring up a great point about zone defense. With this Indiana team and the struggles they've had defensively, I hate even bringing this up as a coach because I'm a man-to-man coach. But sometimes you have the team you have. And and it won a game against Louisville, who's not very good. And and that three and a half minutes was a a 12-2 run or whatever. I think you might need to sprinkle that in, if not use that a little bit more. The rebounding is a concern anytime you zone because you don't have a body on a body. So you're going to have to really teach that and emphasize that. And everyone's got to go to the boards. But winning basketball games matters more than style points. And with Mbako out there who's trying to figure out how to play defense and and, and Cups who's not uh, the ball pressure, although I think he plays good defense, but he's not Xavier Johnson, I I would advocate maybe playing a, a little bit more of that or mixing it up a little bit to confuse Kansas yeah. and don't let them get in the rhythm of running their stuff or one particular player – I'm not saying that's the, a magic wand that's going to win the game, but when you are outmatched, and I think Indiana is, I think you need to junk up things by your strategy. And that's where I went back to being creative as a college coach. It, it's not just good athletes playing the second game of a back-to-back in the NBA and you trust them because they're getting paid. You've got to really have your thumb on stuff offensively and defensively at the college game because of, of how – the age and, and the talent level that you have, one through ten, uh, on yeah. your squad. I would like to see you, that zone. I'll give you, you credit in the post game. I mean, I, and I, that's awful that I would get credit for zone. I mean, God, I feel like I've like changed <laughs> I know, religion you, like, or something. Yeah. But but no, your, your your point is well taken. Is that you've you've got the team that you've got. This team is not right. very good at maintaining defensive intensity for a full thirty five seconds. And I don't. I'm not saying play it all the time. But Kansas is so good at scoring. They're one of the few teams in the country that is better at two-point field goal percentage than Indiana is. And that indicates how good they are at getting the ball into the post and doing what they want to do. I just look at it and I say, you know, Indiana's biggest advantages, if they want to take advantage of them here, are they can score bucket for bucket against Kansas. They should have the home whistle, one would hope. 
uh, at least a little bit. I mean, we haven't ever seen that uh, in the last decade, but maybe it'll maybe it'll pop out of the sky in this one. And I think you know it's with the one of the interesting things about what Mike Woodson's done this year. He sped this team up. They're they're playing at a faster tempo relative to the rest of the country than they were last year. And I think they need to do more of that. Like, I would rather see them turn this into a track meet because Kansas is one of the best defensive teams in the country. Like, that really is their calling card. They're a better defensive team than they are an offensive team. And I think Indiana plays right into their hands if they start to go out and play like 27, 28 second possessions trying to milk out of the half court. Get it out in transition. You've got mobile big men who can do things on the run. That's, to me, a route to at least keeping it close for the last 10 minutes and then trying to let the crowd take over. Yeah, I think as you look at yeah, some of the some of the other stats I think that that back some of that up. And I, I think what you're gonna need IU to do, this is a game where they're gonna have to, you know, take and make uh open threes because Kansas, if you look what they've done so far this year, you know, opponents are taking forty two percent, over forty two percent of their shot attempts from three. And against IU, they're basically gonna sit back and dare IU to shoot threes. Uh it's essentially what the the numbers would suggest they're doing over the rest of the time. And so they're going to try to take things away and they do a good job of that because even though Adams is a, is a bit undersized uh, and will probably be tasked with trying to keep Malik renew, they do a good enough job of forcing them to make decisions. And so his passing out of the post is going to be important uh, and where IU can find shots on that end. And passing is the other thing. When you look at Kansas on offense, they lead the country assists on 73% of their made field goals. That's wild. Uh, which is insane. Um, speaks to Dewan Harris, but also just to their general scheme. And I use one that they've gotten lost at times. And this, this goes back to, you know, maybe playing some zone is the, the way to go. But I use loses guys frequently as there's communication breakdowns, back cuts, different things like that, that they've really struggled to communicate well enough on the defensive end. Kansas is going to put guys in positions to have to make decisions and that's just not an area that I use excelled on so far here. So uh, I think furthers the the zone thing, but really speaks to Kansas's ball movement and just general offensive philosophy and, and how effective that's been. So, um, you know, coach, I want to go back to, to Galen's pace. I have been saying that over and over and over and over again, pace, pace, pace. And if I think back to the first 24 points, 26 points, Indiana scored last Saturday, it was quick, whether it was in transition or it was a quick drive and a kick out for a three, there was no hesitation. There was a pace. There was a flow. They were confident. And then then when times get tough, then it gets dribbled down, dribble over to a side, no ball reversals, no drives, throw it in the post. Well, the defense, what Galen's talking about here from a coaching perspective, you allow the defense to get set, then their scouting report comes in, and the players on Kansas' team know exactly how they're going to guard Renew when the ball goes into the post. So if you're slow getting it into him and you're not creative in moving the defense either by pace or by action, then that, that makes their scouting report defense easier. You, My big point of contention in the last three years is we do not move the defense, and it makes it easier for the defenders to know their scouting report and their rotations. And, and that's different – in college than it is in the pros and and pace is one way to beat it and I thought we the Auburn you know I might after the show go back and watch and and I just think it was faster uh in transition before the defense gets set that's that's how you you beat good defensive teams I think that's really important the other thing real quick is who does Kansas put on renew I thought Auburn and coach Pearl did a great job putting Brom on 
renew early and forced him into a couple tough twos, and it got into Malik's head. And then, you you know, do you think you could be uh, physical with Dickinson on where, or do you put him on renew? And does the defense push, um, you know, Khalil around? Those two things hurt our strength uh, last Saturday on that end. I thought that was really good strategy by Coach Pearl. And besides the zone and praising Coach Pearl, I'm really feeling bad about this show tonight. Man. But yeah, no, burn, I, I burn say, the like, tapes. We can't, we can't have this coach. We it can't. was, it was obvious sitting there uh, courtside watching that Auburn game. Every time Indiana was in a half court set, they struggled so hard to get the ball into a position where they could do anything with it. And Kansas is, I think a much worse problem for Indiana because they're so right. oversized compared to where Auburn was. So look, it's not an unwinnable game. Indiana can do things well. Now, I think a lot of the trepidation that I and others are feeling about this game is that it's going to rely on good guard play, ultimately. Like, all, we're, all that we're talking about with Renew or Ware or Mbako, the guards have to play at a higher level in terms of not just shooting. And to me, the bigger deal is the guards have to play make. They, there has to be good ball movement, good passing, and finding guys who are able to turn around and shoot or be in a position to score, that to me was the biggest thing missing in that Auburn game was that, you know, Cups or whoever was running point, they, 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 would, they would try doing something, it would get checked, they'd have to back up, start over again, and that lack of playmaking is ultimately leading to a lack of assists, it's leading to a lack of open shots, and it's leading to rushed shots at times when you don't need them simply because the offensive player, whoever's got the ball, is like, I got to do something because I'm not in a good position to score, but it can't go anywhere else. Yeah, I think that the two things I'd say in addition to that to kind of wrap up, you know, a guy for IU that I think is important to try to figure out is, is Mbako. We talked about the potential deficiencies on the defensive end. They're going to have to play him. You've got to be able to score with Kansas. If they're willing to give up threes, he's a guy who – percentage-wise does not look very good, but rimmed out a couple against Auburn, was shooting it confidently early in that game, uh, and and is somebody who can help you space the floor. You just got to figure out how you can keep him on the floor defensively and not be a huge liability. And the other, it goes back to Galen's point on guard play, is how disruptive they can be defensively. You're not going to turn over a Dewan Harris all that much based on his experience and, and how well he's played over the course of his career. But can you at least get to a point where you're making them a little bit uncomfortable? Uh, and that's just something, you know, we've talked about a lot. If, you know, if X isn't in there, that was what came back to last year. A lot of the, you know, defensive fall off a year ago was attributed in part to him not being able to be there to put pressure on the ball. You know, maybe he's back on Saturday. Maybe he's not. But you've got to find somebody who can be a little bit disruptive and not let Kansas just ease right into the sets and the things that they want to do. Um, I think it'll be a great atmosphere. I feel like we have not painted a particularly rosy picture for uh, IU as we look ahead to the game. I think we pointed out a lot of things that can go wrong, but it's a tough game. And that's why, you know, that, that some in, in some ways is why you want to play these games to really gauge yourself against the, the better competition. And if you're playing the number three team or four, whatever they are in the country, it should sound like a hard game. There should be a lot of reasons that you might not win. Um, but that being said, I think, you know, getting off to a good start, getting the crowd in the game, I think the whistle, as Galen said, if you can get one of the Kansas guys into foul trouble, one of their you know core players, that becomes pretty huge because then the drop-off for them is pretty substantial as you get into some of the bench players. Uh, recruiting, recruiting pedigree aside and some of those kinds of things, the reality is in terms of performance this year, there has been a drop-off. So can you 
do some of those things, particularly if it's Dickinson, because the size really drops off uh, at that point. Adams plays a little bit bigger than he actually is, but I, I do think um, that's going to be pretty critical and uh, definitely some interesting matchups to see as we uh, as we look ahead to the game. So we'll be here to, to talk about it when it's all said and done. Uh, we probably threw out enough points that we're sure to have been right on something, depending <laughs> on how the game plays out. So, you know, you feel good about that. You just uh, got to get shots up and, and see what happens. But um, coming up on Assembly Call Radio, it is mailbag time, and uh, we've got a great a bunch of great questions. Galen's done some research, so we'll uh, hit as many of those as we can next. Stick with us here on the Assembly Call. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And... Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. All right. Yeah, there's lots of these in here. All right. We'll hit as many as we can, but I probably got to be done by about 1030 or so. Let's hopefully Speed round. Speed we're going to fire a number of these here. So one of these is lengthy, but we'll uh, we'll see. Yeah, a number of these addressed at Galen. So hey, yeah. really bringing the questions out of the out of the woodwork here. See? That's the people talking, right? Okay, we're going to answer right. the people. That's right. That's what. We All mean. right, you ready? Yes, sir. Let's go. This is Nick Zeisloft. I never miss an open three, and I never miss an episode of the Assembly Call. Welcome we, back. To, are we just playing all the drops where they say I never missed an open three? Is that is that the plan here? <laughs> We're just trying to. Will I don't know. I can't hear them tonight. I'm just randomly <laughs> hitting stuff. Oh <laughs> uh, wow! Uh, well, welcome back to the assembly call. I'm Andy Bottoms here with the coach Brian Tonsoni and Galen Clavio. Uh, it is now time for our mailbag. Most of these questions submitted via our private IU basketball discussion discussion community on Substack which you can learn more about at assemblycall.com. Also would encourage everyone to check out Crimson Cast on Substack as well. Uh, has been a good transition for all involved, I feel like. So uh, lots of good stuff there all in one place. You can move back and forth between the two pretty easily. So uh, that has been uh, has been good. So we referenced a number of the pieces on there even so far today. So 
Uh, all right, first question from Brian. In honor of George McGinnis, what are the best individual seasons in the history of Indiana basketball? And do you consider Big Mac's 1970-71 season to be the greatest of all time? Galen, unlike Coach and I, you have done some research on this, it sounds like. And we will cede the floor to you to help Thanks. us answer this question. I mean, I, I, I actually would say, all things considered, it's hard to not look at what McGinnis did that year. <laughs> he averaged it was 30 points, 14.7 rebounds, and 2.8 assists a game. I, I don't know how you answer with anything other than yes there. That was probably the greatest season. Chris Williams might have a different perspective on this. I'd be curious to hear what he'd have to say, but – uh, I think that's an easy one, even given the fact – I mean, that team wasn't was pretty good, 17-7 uh, and seven overall. I actually uploaded a video to my YouTube channel that has footage from one of the games that season. It's the Minnesota game that was at the, the new field house. Uh, go check that out if you have any, if you want to see George McGinnis in the, in the crowd in action. I will say, if we're taking that season out of the equation, by far, from my perspective, the best single season that we've seen since then – was Allen Henderson in the 1994-95 season. 23 points, 10 rebounds, or 9.7 rebounds, whatever, and close to two assists on a team that had two scorers total in double figures that season. Uh, it was him and Brian Evans. And, and Allen Henderson, uh, to have that kind of a season on a team that was full of young players and guys that you know, probably wouldn't have gotten in otherwise. I mean, that was that was the Neil Reed, Charlie Miller, Michael Herman, um, Andre Patterson as freshman team. Very young team. They lost so much from that year that they had the previous year. Uh, for Allen Henderson to, to do that when everybody knew he was the number one option still sticks out. And I will note, it ties into this weekend because that was the season that Indiana had a horrific train wreck start to the season went into the game hosting a third-ranked Kansas Jayhawks team in Assembly Hall. Indiana was 4-4 four and four and beat them 80-61, to 61, one of the most unexpected and inexplicable games that we saw during the night era, I think, in Assembly Hall. So that's the mojo that I think we need to conjure up for this week. Absolutely. We did not give a lot of optimism well in the previous segment, but we've brought it back this time. So well, well done. Well done. All right, next question from Luke. All offseason, we heard and were told this team would have a different style of play than last year. Obviously, that has not been the case, and this team is a more drastic version of itself from last year. How slash why do you think that Coach Mike Woodson thought he – why do you think that Woodson thought he had this offseason is so much different than what he actually has? Coach, I'll, I'll throw that to you. I, I guess the yeah. first part of that I would say is do you really think, in retrospect, that Woodson had planned to play differently than he actually is right now? Yeah, I, I don't – in defense of coach, I think you put your offense together once you see what kind of team you have. If there was any narrative coming from the basketball side of it, maybe they wanted to, and then depending on what they saw in the summer, this is what they believe is best for Indiana basketball, and it's it's not wrong. I mean, the best players are inside, and you want to get a lot of shots inside. Uh, I, I don't find fault with that. I, I think there needs to be a little more balance – but what Coach Woodson runs to get the ball inside is not bad. It's it's really good. But he runs up. He tries to get done in the summer is defense first, and then he he says a lot of times, "Now I'll figure out the offense as we go, and we'll figure out the offense here and there." So if it did come from the basketball part of it, maybe they wanted to, and then they got into the summer and they figured out they had to be 
post-heavy. The other thought is maybe it was all of us wanting to drive that narrative, and if we hear something, we turn it into, oh, it's got to be different now that TJD is out. Um, I still think you can go into the post and still have plays for the guard and more movement on offense uh, than, than what he has selected to do. Um, but the other thing is, I've said this over and over, we're stubborn coaches. Uh, we believe we can get people, kids, players to do what we want to do, and we've done it for years. It's worked in the past. It's going to work here. And I think that is a fault of our profession, uh, to be totally honest with you. It's been a fault of mine. I should have played more zone at times than I did. But, you know, sometimes that works out. I just think he, he wants to win games. He knows where his best players are, and he's overemphasizing that would be what I would uh, would think. The, the only thing I'll add, I think that all that sounds right. I think this team looked a lot better in practice than it's looked in actual games. I think that they, they, they thought they were going to have a mobile big man who was going to be able to move around and get fed the ball. They were going to have Renew in the post kind of filling a, a less mobile TJD role, and they were going to have guys hitting shots. I, I can absolutely imagine a scenario where Mike Woodson and his staff are in practice, and they're just watching Mbako drain shot after shot. They're watching Trey Galloway drain shots from outside. They're watching Xavier Johnson penetrating on a regular basis and playing good defense. And they're like, this is going to be great. It's not going to be so post-centric. It's going to be something that kind of revolves around two-thirds uh, of uh, uh, you know of the of the lane, depending on where the ball is at and how the movement's happening, and that just hasn't happened in practice, or in you know an act. It happened in practice. It's not happening actually in the games itself, and that's unfortunate. I don't know what you do there. Uh, you know, you can have all the best plans in the world, but if they if what you see in the practices isn't translating to what you're seeing in the games, you got a real problem, and you end up sounding like you were promising something that you didn't deliver yeah I, I i agree with what you guys said i think the other thing and this goes back to what coach said initially you know what we can actually see to to take those two things together is how guys have played on the court and whether by design or the cream has risen to the top the guys who have been the most consistent and the two best players are where and renew and the, the resulting need to have those guys on the floor dictates so much of how you have to play. I know we talked about the lineup stuff earlier, and I think there's different things that could be done there to ensure that one of those guys is always out there. But realistically, that style, no matter what you wanted to do, goes out the window when the reality of the situation is, here's who's actually playing the best right now. I got to figure out how to use those guys. So we can blame roster construction on that, but given what guys have actually put on tape and done in games, you'd be hard pressed to try to do something dramatically different and more backcourt or wing centric because those guys have not been consistent contributors game in and game out. All right. Another lineup question from Jim. I've been thinking about possible lineup changes. Probably we all have. Uh, what, do, what do we think about starting X if, and when he comes back and cups in the backcourt, bringing Galloway off the bench where he could return to being the energy guy. Galen, I'll give you first crack at that one. Galloway started 25 games last year. <laughs> I mean, I, I, this idea, I'm sorry, I, I, I can't get my head around this idea that we need to play Galloway less and that he'll, somehow he'll play better as a result. I don't think that's the answer. Uh, and, and frankly, 
I know everybody's in love with Gabe Cups. I'm really excited about Gabe Cups' future. Gabe Cups' present is a player who is a sub one point per possession player who's turning the ball over on 31% of the possessions that he's used. He's he's very, very hard to keep on the floor offensively. That's not going to get any better if you stick him in the backcourt with Xavier Johnson as a starting pair. Who's going to come off the bench and handle the ball then when one of those two, are you just going to keep one of those guys on the floor all the time? So, you know, to me, Galloway's got to step his game up. And I know it's been tough. I know he's had a lot of tough defensive assignments and so forth. But, uh, you know, to me, the idea that, you know, you can't on the one hand say Cups is getting pushed too much into an environment where he's having to play too often and it's, you know, it's, it's hurting his development because he's just not ready. And on the other hand, say we need to start the guy that those two. And, the, and I've heard both of those sentiments in the fan base and in some of the media up to this point, realistically, your best chances to win are with Xavier Johnson and Trey Galloway playing the most minutes at the guard positions. And, you know, it's just unfortunate at this point that statistically nobody else has risen to the challenge where they can they can contribute at that level. My hope is that over the next few weeks that will change. But, you know, to me, when Xavier Johnson comes back, you don't take Trey Galloway out of the lineup, no. I think that becomes hard to do with a captain, with a, a, a senior who's been around the program. And as you said, Galen, I think everybody – has kind of skipped past last year's version of Trey Galloway, who started all those games and was not the off the bench energy guy. Now, was he an energy guy in the starting lineup? Was he asked to do different things than he's being asked to do this year? Yes, absolutely. But yeah, he wasn't an off the bench energy guy last year. He was effective last year in the role that he, that he played. What they need to do is try to figure out how you get that version of him back. And I think part of that is Xavier Johnson coming back and, taking a few of the responsibilities that he has off the off the off of his plate coach any quick thoughts on that one yeah you, you don't start cups and, and x uh cups i like him I, I i happen to think he's playing okay for the position uh that he's been thrown into i i think he's a 20 21 minute guy off the bench i think you can play x and cups together but not starting him. Uh, Trey Galloway has to play at a higher level uh, for this team as it's constructed to win. If you had a different construction, uh, a different type of player at the perimeters, then maybe you could talk about Trey being a good sixth man, but not on on this squad. I, I think uh, X has to get healthy. Trey needs to play better. And then Cups is better to be used in situations off the bench with those two uh, as a secondary ball handler or a primary ball handler with moving X off the ball, I think is a, is a good idea too, but not starting. You, you, you don't do that with, with the, I know we're grasping for corrections here, but I think that does more harm for the cohesiveness of the, of the squad than it does uh, help uh, the, the statistics. All right, next one from Ross. Which offseason transfer did IU miss out on that would have made the biggest difference on this team? He listed out Dalton Connect, Jordan Dingle, Chris Ledlam, uh, or or potentially others. Uh, to me, this one feels relatively easy in that it's Connect. I think he's played at a really high level, has taken the step up to uh, in, in competition, played really well, uh, really – even starting with that exhibition game that the Tennessee played against Michigan state uh, as he played extremely well in that game, he's averaging 18 points a game shooting almost 40% from three 80% from the free throw line, almost five rebounds, which is something we've, you know, talking about the guard rebounding and some of those kinds of things. 
gives you a shooter, gives you another guard, which is where the depth has really been lacking. So to me, that's the one that stuck out. You guys have different right. thoughts. No, it's Agreed. connect. It's connect. Why easy. Would, but why would connect have come to Indiana when there were two guards starting already at Indiana? That's the thing that I don't get. I people I've heard people lamenting the connect not coming to Indiana. I get it. I wanted him to come here too. He's he's started all ten games at Tennessee. And, you know, my thing is, like, what was Mike Woodson supposed to say? Yeah, you know, come in. You'll get a starting job immediately. Who was he going to sit on the bench? Uh, at but that if we point? got him, we don't get Mbaco, right? Could he start where Mbaco is? I think he could. You're going to think gonna he go could. To- I'm trying to remember the order in which those things happened, though. But Connect uh, left. Yeah, Connect went to Tennessee before we – or maybe not. Yeah, I, I, I have I to go back remember. to the chronology. I mean, ultimately, though – is he going to come and start in a three-guard lineup? Certainly, Connect would have been a great add. I think any of those guys would have been nice. And look, in hindsight, yeah. I, the biggest problem ultimately was I think that there was too much faith placed in the development of a couple of other people in the backcourt where it was like, well, CJ Gunn's going to be ready to play. So we don't necessarily need to bring somebody else in. And that just hasn't happened. And Gabe Cups, I think they perhaps overestimated where he was going to be. And then Indiana clearly got unlucky with the situation with Ja'Kai Newton. Hey, how about uh, no one would have predicted that Caleb Love and Tommy Lloyd's done a great job getting him to buy in to play team basketball out there. I don't know if Woodson could have done that. I don't know all that. But there's a there's a transfer that a lot of people kind of backed off on fans and right. I was one of them, too. Uh, because of the perception of what he did at North Carolina, but he's he's really helping that Arizona team. There, there's a guy out there, Tommy Lloyd, that can coach now. Yeah. Uh, all right. Next question from uh, from Coach Marlowe from doing the work. The, uh, for a lot of these questions were directed at Galen. Coach, this one feels like it's right in your wheelhouse. Uh, he said, obviously, our best offense is with the two post players being on the floor together. But could we do more things like pick and roll or pick and pop with them to help create space for somebody like Galloway? Or perhaps even cups to penetrate. Could we put them in double? Could we put them in double staggers for Mbako, giving him options and trying to create some mismatches for our post players? What are your thoughts? Uh, Coach Marlowe is a genius. He does great work on doing the work. Uh, I would love to coach with him because he said a lot of things here. I'll make it quick. Where's the pick and pop with a guy who's shooting uh, decently as a big man? Uh, it doesn't always have to be the alley oop, bu- uh, buddy ball, or whatever they play high-low pass, dunk, uh, where's much better than all that? He can do all that, and you still want to do that. I don't think he's as good in the power game. He's good at a mid-range post-up where he can turn and shoot the little seven-footer. But the uh, a pick-and-pop with wear and, and guard space down in the corners, uh, I think that would be great. The problem is it's better with X, who can really get downhill, or Galloway, and they've struggled. It's not going to happen with Cups right now. But I would like to pick and pop. And what Coach Marlowe said, which I really like, is make your bigs screeners. Even if you don't want your guards shooting the ball because they're shooting 13%, if you run someone off a double stagger, they have to guard it. And they have the one double stagger play, which sometimes they get a weak, a strong side back door, or they have Mbako coming off a stagger. Do more of that, which then you can move the basketball. And if you don't want guys taking threes, now you've had to switch. You have to cover the the screeners. Who's popping out on a double stagger? I love double screens, a series of them. Double uh, double stagger turned into a double pin. Into in, there is so much that you watch college basketball that goes on with that kind of action. 
and the ball still goes into the post, um, including the team that lives right down the road from me. They, they run a lot of good actions, and they have a 7-4 guy they still throw it into 87 times. Uh, I would love to see that. I think Coach Marlowe's on to something. Woodson, hire him. All right, Galen, I'll throw the next one to you. This is from Max. Uh, he talked about some of the lineup analysis we talked about earlier. It's a massive problem with team creators when Malik is on the floor without Khalil. Malik will have to be on the floor at time solo. How would you craft a lineup without Khalil that could play to Malik's strengths, ideally working a few bench players in there too? So throw out a, a lineup you might like to see with, with Malik out there but Khalil on the bench that, that maybe still allows Renewed to be successful. Well, look, I think something that gets lost with Malik is how good of a passer he is. So I think you need players out there that can take advantage of that. So I guess the lineup would be something along the lines of, um, well, Cups, Galloway, Mbako, and and probably Anthony Walker at this point. Uh, because I think what you would want to do in that situation is move Renew to the high post and have the offense kind of revolve around his ability to see the floor with ideally Mbako as someone who's staggered out at the wing and ready to to catch and shoot from three, even though he's only shooting 20% from three at this point, and have Walker as a mobile big, quasi-big, who can either move baseline and, and, and get opportunities there or be able to cut back out again and then redirect the basketball. It's tough because I think you waste a lot of Malik's talents in a single big situation because – the guys he's passing to on the perimeter aren't hitting the shots that he would be drawing defenders off of. So to me, it's less about personnel and more about execution. Coach, any, uh, any thoughts on that? I agree. Uh, you, you could play Walker with renew. I love that lineup, uh, more than sparks with renew, uh, because you can move him to the high post and run some of that Michigan state old offense, the floppy action where you, two guys on both sides you can utilize him uh hitting back doors when the double staggers are going you could also then put Malik in the post and Walker's really good at driving the basketball and doing the uh, handoffs and all of that action I think that's the three-man rotation at the four and five and I I I will not going to see it but I'd love to see Mbako and, and and Banks down there as well with their ability to drive and shoot the ball with Renew and then play your three guards once once X comes back and all of that. But they, they're all practicing perimeters. Uh, Banks and, and Baco are always with the perimeter. So I don't see, think that that'll remotely happen. But I think that's a creative way to utilize the strength of the people that is on this roster. Yeah, I the one that came to mind for me was you play Mbako at the four, Banks at the three, and then some combination of two out of the three of – I'm kind of taking X out of the mix just because he's hurt right now, but – you know, Galloway gun and, and cups out there. You know, I, I like the Walker idea. I like as well. I think banks is a guy who can also has shown some ability to drive, but also a little bit better ability to shoot it. And what you really want because of the passing that, that you guys alluded to from him as guys that uh, can knock down shots. I know that'll give everybody a good chuckle. Uh, you know, as we talk about this roster and like, Oh, you need guys who can knock down shots. And then you're looking up and down trying to figure out who those people are. But uh, you know, I at least think Banks has shown some ability to shoot it, can attack, close out. Uh, Mbako, same deal, uh, and some of that. So that would be my thoughts. But I think we're all roughly on the same on the same page there. Uh, question from Caleb. He initially he had, one of his questions was about uh, tournament hopes, which I think we touched on already. Uh, and he said also mostly for Galen, what does the recent addition of players for IU football do to the projections 
of IU football next year. I know Galen, you alluded to this somewhat early uh, in the show in your opening comments, a long way to go to try to figure out what the entirety of the roster looks like. But uh, just based on what we've seen so far, uh, what, what do you think the recent additions or uh, retentions, I guess, in some of the cases have, have really done to, to alter what the projections might be for this team? Well, it looks like they have a starting quarterback, which maybe will get named before week five of the season, which would be great. Um, they, they're, they're clearly focusing on the lines, and that has to be where Indiana sets themselves up for this upcoming year, offense and defensive lines, both. And, you know, getting Carter Smith back, some of the guys that they're in the mix for as far as the defensive line's concerned, those are big pieces. I, I, look, right now, I, I would argue this. I think IU's roster last year wasn't as bad as people thought it was. They lost a lot of close games, and they did that for two years in a row. They did that in 2022. They did it in 2023. So some of this is the coaching staff evaluating who's there, who can be kept, who can be brought up to a higher level, which is what they did at James Madison for basically the five years that they were there. Uh, so I really – I'm excited that they got the quarterback that they wanted. This is a guy that fits the the Signetti profile of a quarterback he can elevate. It's a guy who was getting some draft buzz uh, even this year a little bit in the later rounds. Uh, that's the key piece because now that everybody knows that Indiana's got a quarterback, that's going to bring other people who are like, okay, now I know what Indiana's going to do. I know what their plan generally is. I want to go play for that team and that coaching staff. But I think, honestly, the, the last thing I'll say on this, the biggest addition hasn't been the individual pieces. It's been what the people who have come to for visits have said. We've had three or four people now, three or four recruits quoted as saying, like, the energy is infectious. The You know, the, the quarterback that they got, Rourke, was like, these guys are winners. That's language that hasn't been used very often, not just in the in the recent past, but ever when it comes to recruits coming and visiting IU football. That energy to me is the biggest addition to what Indiana is doing so far in this offseason because it seems to be getting football players excited to play for Indiana, and that is much needed. All right, we got two more questions. Uh, Galen, I'll go to this one first. I assume there's a story behind this from Jim. What did Galen think of the public address announcer at State Farm Arena? I got to be honest, Jim. I I vaguely heard him, I, but I was, A, really close to the court, which was very unusual. Shout out to Sam Krumov uh, for the tickets and Nick Lalonde. But uh, I was also, to, to quote Hurricane Peter McNeely, encased in a cocoon of horror uh, during almost the entire game. So I honestly didn't get a... I wasn't paying attention to the PA announcer. I was vaguely annoyed, and I still don't completely remember why, but I'm sure there are other people in the arena who can answer that better than I can. All right. All right. Last one from James. Uh, sorry for the long question in advance. Love to get Galen's perspective on this, but how long do you think this current state of NIL can last from a fan and more specifically their wallet perspective? I ask this because it irritates me when someone says, quote, college sports is basically professional sports now. If my favorite professional team is negotiating a contract with a star player, the owner doesn't ask the fans to help pay their salary in addition to buying season tickets, paying for TV subscriptions, etc. Not saying players shouldn't get paid, but don't you think the situation of fans footing the bill for everything while conferences and schools continue to make more money from TV contracts each year passing is a little unsustainable? Or when coaches get fired, it's alumni and donors that ultimately foot a large chunk of the bill. Uh, certainly a lot of schools have big donors with deep pockets, but it feels like as college tuition and the number of graduates, student debt increases year after year. Future alumni will eventually be less willing to subsidize all this directly, no matter how passionate of fans they are or how much they respect the players. I feel like that this question could probably be its own episode. 
right. uh, ultimately as, as you look at that. But, you know, kind of your initial thoughts uh, to James's question, which I think is a, is a good one. You know what? It's it's a it's a multi-layered complex question. So to try to answer it as simply as I can, given our time constraints, is is this a sustainable model right now? No, but it's kind of an on steroids version of the model that's existed for a long time. Uh, you know, we're in Indiana. We've been kind of insulated from this because we've had this like very strict no cheating policy when it came to like paying student athletes, and that hasn't been the case in other places. And most people willingly give money either above the table or under the table for players. And yes, you get fans, the average fan, the middle-class fan or whatever, shelling out some bucks very occasionally. But most of the time, it's wealthy people who want to make sure that the thing that they love, that they have an emotional investment in, their college sports team, uh, which they care about so deeply, has a financial advantage that allows them to go get talent. So in, in a sense... The, the system we're seeing right now is kind of the public manifestation of something that's happened under the table for decades in most places. And the vast majority of the money that's actually getting spent on this is coming from large donors or corporations or, you know, uh, people who have the means where it's not that big of a deal. Uh, I do think that the the everyday fan does probably get a little bit annoyed when they hear like, hey, give money so that we can, you know, give uh, money to college athletes. But this is where I do think the model ultimately is going to change uh, because it's 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 not going to be something that we'll be able to continue to see, I think partially because the courts are going to change the model underneath everybody's feet, and that's going to make the need for fans to give money for NIL a lot less important than schools giving the money for NIL, which is actually what the NCAA itself has proposed, albeit with some big strings attached to it. All right. Well, I appreciate your, uh, your thoughts on that. And uh, like I said, I'm sure that's a, it's definitely a good off season topic as we start to, you know, think ahead to that. Cause I think the, the layers of that are, uh, are multifaceted and you have as good a perspective as anybody on maybe what the next couple of years hold for uh, where we go from here. Uh, but with that, uh, that's going to do it for this week's episode of the assembly call. If you want to see us do the show live, join us at assemblycall.com on Thursday nights for the live broadcast of our Assembly Call radio recording. Thanks to Bob Thompson for producing our music, and thanks to John Ringer of rigdesign.com for designing our logos. And thank you for listening. We'll talk to you again on Saturday after the Kansas game. And until then, take it from me, Christian Wofford. Keep your elbows in and your eyes on the rim. Go Hoosiers. Thank you. Thanks for coming out. Hey, the show's over. Here I come, Coach Tonsoni. All right. Excellent stuff, guys. Coach, we did Good a better show. job this time. Uh, even though you couldn't hear the sound, we did a better job than we did the last time when you could hear the sound. So, uh, I'm just, you a, know. I'm just an old dog trying to do new stuff. Uh, thought I was okay this afternoon updating whatever this thing is called, Ferranjo, Farago, <laughs> or whatever, tested it out, and then I uh, come home from 10 minutes before I couldn't hear it all of a sudden. But the joys. What are you going to do? Oh. Yeah, all right. Well, Galen, we appreciate you uh, you joining us. Are you going to be at the game on on Saturday? Or have you, sworn off, have you sworn off attending based on your experiences so far this season? I, 
I should, damn it, but I'm not. I'm going to be there. No, I, I, don't, yeah, blame you. I don't blame you. No, it's, I'll, you get I'll be to get watching play Kansas. You got to go, man, no matter what's happening. Yeah, it's uh, maybe we'll break this streak at some point. We'll see what happens. I, you know, Absolutely. It's, Absolutely. it's just no, it's annoying more than anything else at this point. But, For you sure. know, we beat North Carolina last year was not Kansas. There is some magic in, in, in the hall, and maybe, who knows, It's it's uh, it'll be interesting. I just hope every- – I just hope everybody that's coming waited to buy tickets until the last couple of days. That's that's my one hope. If you if you sprung for tickets two months ago and paid absor- exorbitant amounts of money, uh, don't do that again. I guess would be my message to you. The, 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 <laughs> yes. So, who who yes. was it? it? Someone made the comment in that it's the assembly call factor when Kansas tickets are now down to forty one, but Penn State tickets when we're going to be in town are one hundred and thirty. Something I Wild. didn't know that I didn't know the back home network had that kind of pull to drive ticket prices. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> that the, the fact that there are like I think two Saturday Big Ten games that are at yeah, home. I think right. that might have as much to do, to do with, with it, it as anything. But we'll take the credit where we can. So anyway, well, awesome. Well, Galen, well, thanks for joining us. Appreciate thank, it very much. Thank you all. Appreciate it. And uh, anybody that's around, if you see me in town, I'll be out a little bit before the game, and I'll be out at the game so come by and say hi all right same here i'll be there in some fashion at some point all right all right awesome sounds good thanks so much have a good one one two three four those are numbers but you already knew that if you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car use kelly blue book my wallet on auto trader they're really good at numbers (laughs) auto trader